going to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Welcome to the program, folks. You are now listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. You can follow me on Twitter at the Joey RC. You can follow me on the Book of Faces Facebook. Search for Joey Clark. Follow me on Instagram, all over social media, and. You can't catch the whole show. Please feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. I'll be putting up on more platforms in the near future. You know, over the long holiday weekend, I was beginning a resolution early, one that I've sort of dropped the ball on in the past year, and reading more. I like to go back to some of my old favorites, either George Orwell or Oscar Wilde or... Ayn Rand, even. Yes, I know that's cliche, but I've gotten to where I like her nonfiction work. Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged are great. Anthem is a fantastic novella, but Ayn Rand is really good, I think, when she's writing these polemic essays, really taking it to folks. But I wasn't reading any of those people, and I wasn't reading anybody new. So that is the plan going forward. No, I was going back to one that I've talked about a great deal on these airways, quoted all the time. I have to give credit where credit is due. One H.L. Mencken. Now, for all you good Christian folk out there, I don't think you would agree with a lot of Mencken's worldview. Henry Louis Mencken. But there is no denying the power of his pen. And he had a special talent for pissing people off you got to respect people like that to a certain degree. And this is how bad it was, folks. He was writing in the early 1900s, and he pissed so many people off, there were actually local sheriffs around the country that warned him, if you come into my county, again, early 1900s, if you come into my county, we will hang you. This is how much Minkin would really get the folks riled up, foaming at the mouth. The reason I like his stuff isn't just that he's a rebel, an iconoclast. The reason I like H.L. Mencken is because he really speaks to that uh, cynical side that's developed in me after years of engaging and covering and studying politics. Very easy to become cynical when it comes to the news, in particular, surrounding politics. I mean, right now there's a manhunt for an illegal immigrant who just killed a police officer. That's the top headline. The U.S. government is still shut down. People all up in arms over President Trump's latest foreign policy decisions. And so much more. The usual garbage in, garbage out that passes for political discourse in this country. But that's the game we play. That's the system we have. And I don't think we're going to change it anytime soon. But one thing we can do... And the reason I like to wrestle with incredibly cynical writers, people that maybe 
contradict how I was raised as a good Catholic boy is because they challenge me, number one, and because, two, they give me perspective of what I really believe in. And there's something I was reading from A.J. Minkin where he talked about how unfit it seems man is compared to other animals, that we're the grand clown, the fool of the universe. His point is, think of a lion, think of a wolf, think of a fish, any animal, and they sort of do what they do. Almost perfectly, they're perfectly adapted in a way to take on the challenges that might happen in their life. But if you look at us human beings, we're constantly stricken by doubt, number one, and foolishness and illusions, but I think the way that Minkin puts it, and it really stuck in my mind and in my craw, is that we're born, we human beings, like a turtle without a shell, like a fish without fins. We have to clothe ourselves. We have to feed ourselves. We have to build our own shelters. Us just naturally, without any of those things, we're kind of exposed as far as our fellow animals go. And this is, in many ways, our biggest vulnerability. We're frail and fallen. Easily prone to sickness, and again, easily prone to illusions, superstitions that don't serve us well. We get a certain idea in our heads, most obvious case being, say, somebody becomes addicted to certain drugs, addicted to certain behaviors, that they know are self-destructive, but they do them anyway. Back to one of my other favorite writers. Ayn Rand says the basic choice we all have are rational, enlightened human being or suicidal animal. So it's tough. It can leave you with a bitter taste in your mouth, a bleak outlook, especially when you see the worst, in my opinion, of the human race every day in the political news. People constantly acting out of bad faith, people acting uncharitably, People acting, well, in a very destructive way in order to win power. Not saying they don't have good intentions, but you know what's in the news, folks. Do you think the news makes you feel good at night? Especially if you watch it late into the evening? I don't know too many people who get all happy after watching the news. And that's why I love it. When certain human beings, when certain people, individuals, defy our natural state. And for the longest time, life was, as Hobbes said, nasty, brutish, and short. Again, man is born into this world like a fish without fins, like a turtle without a shell. We have to do everything that our wits allow us, that our soul yearns for in order to just survive and get by in the most basic way. That's why when you see people that are doing beyond the average, and most of us are average, that's why it's average. But when you see people who go above and beyond, it's a sign that all these theories that people want everything equal, well, they seem like bunk. 
nonsense. Because who doesn't love excellence? Who doesn't love seeing a human being really just as frail and fallen and vulnerable to the elements as any one of us accomplish something breathtaking and seemingly impossible? Now, there are people that are celebrities that are celebrities because they just happen to be popular. But then, you know, I can scroll through social media, for instance, and there's a picture of Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. The man travels around with a mobile gym, some tent, three-trailer-wide monstrosity, a gym more technical than most people would ever know what to do with. And it makes you realize, well, there's a reason that guy is on top of the world. There's a reason that guy makes so much money, that his name is known in so many places. Because not only does he put in the time to make himself better, he puts in the time to do good things for others. He puts in the work. It's not trick camera shots. It's hard work. That's just a celebrity. But just keep in mind, a lot of the people at the height of our society, for better or for worse, it doesn't mean they're always people of perfect character. In many ways, character is destiny. But they do have something about them that isn't ordinary, that's above average. Very rare is somebody at the heights of our society out of luck. Somebody, if not themselves, got them there. Now, there's obviously a difference between somebody who might be a trust fund kid or somebody who starts at the very bottom and gets to the top. They might have a different perspective. But aside from celebrity and fame and money and political power, it's when human beings accomplish incredible feats. And it's this perspective I try to carry with me to respond to the cynical side I've developed after covering politics for so long. It's what I would like to call a look-at-what-we-can-do moment. Or at least look at what certain human beings, defying the very odds that bring so much, many of us down, show us that certain things are, in fact, possible. It's why I love Elon Musk. It's why I love stories of great industrialists over the years. Not that they're perfect people. They're obviously not. But they do incredible things. And so today, I, I ran across a story... Of, of all places, the New York Times. I don't really like their politics, and I think their subheading is the second most obnoxious subheading. Uh, all the news that's fit to print. If that doesn't annoy you, well, it should. It's now second to uh, the Washington Post. Democracy dies in darkness, but I digress. The story in the New York Times is not about politics. This is one of those stories where you have to step back, let the pretty music swell like you're in a movie scene or a great sitcom, and step back as though Aaron Sorkin wrote the words for you and said, look at what we can do. The story reads, the final miles of a nearly two-month race across Antarctica, a lonely effort marked by long days, short nights, and stunning endurance, ended Wednesday with a sprint to the finish. And what could go down as one of the great feats in polar history? American Colin O'Brady, 33 years old, 
covered the final 77.54 miles of a 921-mile journey across Antarctica in one final sleepless 32-hour burst, becoming the first person ever to traverse Antarctica from coast to coast solo, unsupported and unaided by wind. O'Brady's transcontinental feat, which took him an actual total of 932 miles with some zigzags along the course, was remarkable enough. But to compete and complete the final 77.54 miles in one shot without stopping, essentially tacking an ultra marathon onto the 53rd day of an already unprecedented journey, set an even higher bar for anyone who tries to surpass it. I don't know, something overcame me, O'Brady said in a telephone interview. I just felt locked in for the last 32 hours, like a deep flow state. I didn't think, I didn't listen to any music, I just locked in. Like I'm going until I'm done. It was profound, it was beautiful, and it was an amazing way to finish up the project. In the nearly two months racing on his own, O'Brady took only one half day off. On November 29th, he lost a skin from his ski and was forced to set up camp early, re-glue the skin, and lick his wounds. O'Brady's culminating effort joined some of the most remarkable achievements in polar history, including expeditions led by Norway's Roald Admundsen and by Robert Falcon Scott of England, who battled Admundsen to become the first to reach the magnetic South Pole. There is also Borg Usland, if I'm saying that correctly, probably not. His magnificent traverse in 96 and 97 when he became the first to cross the continent alone and unsupported by anybody else, though he was aided by a kite, helping him sled through the snow and ice. Since then, at least three other people have tried to duplicate Usland's feet without kites, raising the stakes and trimming the margin for error by several degrees. O'Brady became the first to succeed when he reached the finish early Wednesday afternoon, the 54th day of his journey. In 2016, Henry Worsley, an Englishman and Special Forces veteran, died days after being airlifted from the ice for his own attempt. Just shows how dangerous this whole affair was that O'Brady took on, folks. He had covered over 900 miles and came within 126 miles of the finish. In 2017, another Englishman, Ben Saunders, gave up the same quest at the South Pole. And as of Wednesday, still another Englishman, Lewis Rudd, 49 years old, a close friend of Worsley's, was on the ice and still is. Rudd had been racing the American O'Brady from the so-called Messner start on the Ron Ice Shelf in the Ross Ice Shelf to the Ross Ice Shelf at the foot of Leverett Glacier. The two adventurers departed Punta Aries, Chile on Halloween and then the Antarctic Logistics and Expeditions base camp at Union Glacier on November the 3rd. Rudd, the 49-year-old Britishman, was in the lead for the first week. But O'Brady caught him on November 9th and soon took a lead. 
his advantage remained between one and two days for several weeks before the Christmas Day push. The final effort all started with a feeling. O'Brady said he woke up on Christmas morning at more than 8,000 feet above sea level, yet he sensed that this, his moment, had arrived. He knew he had a safe lead on Rudd. And he had been making solid progress since reaching the South Pole on December 12th, covering more than 20 miles each day, and once more than 30 miles. Conservative calculations placed him three to four days from finishing his journey. But O'Brady said that while making breakfast, he started to think. I just woke up on Christmas morning, just thinking about it. And I was like, all right, I have three more days left. How many more hours is that of moving? People run 100 miles all the time. <laughs> right. Sure. People just run 100 miles all the time, folks. Amazing. At first, he said, he did not share this notion with Jenna Basal, his wife and expedition manager. He also played it coy during his scheduled check-in with the ALE base camp, telling them that he was feeling good and was going to ski for a little while longer. What his wife and his mother... Eileen Brady, a close advisor to O'Brady, and Bashaw th- throughout the expedition had hoped for was a 16-hour, 40-mile day on Christmas. That would have been impressive enough to cover 40 miles in the ice and snow on Christmas. For most of the journey, to give perspective, O'Brady had been stopping at around 8 p.m. after 12 hours of trekking. But for the past two weeks, though, he kept moving until at least 9 p.m. But on Christmas night, the clock ticked past 11 p.m. with no word from O'Brady. Instead, he set up his tent and rested for 90 minutes, boiled water, and ate a double ration of dinner. He also finally made contact with his wife. Jenna texted me, was like, wow, 40 miles, you had such an amazing day. You should stop, get some rest, and do it again tomorrow, O'Brady said. And I was like, I'm not stopping. I kind of said to her, I need your 100% support. Trust me. Now, keep in mind, folks, people have died on this trek. I can't imagine what this guy's wife was feeling. There's something following his progress. His decision to press on past his normal daily output was unnerving. Under intense stress, the line between lucidity and madness can be fuzzy, especially so for someone who has been alone for almost two months, trekking miles each day while doing battle with raging winds, unseasonal snowfall, whiteout visibility, and polar temperatures. Could someone in that situation, exhausted and emaciated, be trusted to make sound choices? I can feel myself in a deep fatigue state, O'Brady said when he reached by satellite phone on he was reached by satellite phone on December twenty second. When I was crossing Greenland, a journey he undertook this summer to prepare for this expedition, I kinda let my guard down on my last night and fell into a crevasse that could have easily killed me. I want it to be done badly, but at the same time it's about executing all the little things and not making any stupid mistakes at the end. The fact that he was going downhill towards the finish helped. O'Brady said that the terrain had a bit of a glide, and that allowed him to use short strokes with his skis. During his check-in with his wife, his sister, and his stepfather, O'Brady was peppered with questions, part of an effort to test his lucidity. 
Had he consumed enough calories? Was he stopping to boil more water? Was he refueling properly? What they had also tried to determine, the mother said, was whether O'Brady understood what was to come and what it would require to make it to the end. We had an open and honest and smart conversation with him, his mother said, or his wife said, excuse me, and he totally delivered. In the final miles, he did his best to savor his triumph. For the first time in weeks, O'Brady said, he was surrounded by beautiful vistas, mountains, and glaciers, instead of mile after mile of white snow. I was getting emotional, nostalgic, he said. I was reviewing the entirety of the expedition in my mind, and I was aware I'm going to tell this story for the rest of my life, but I told myself, you're living this right now. Live it! It was just getting deep with the senses. What does it sound like when your skis scrape against the snow? What does it taste like out here? Really just trying. Just try and just live the experience. His mission accomplished, Colin O'Brady said he would pitch his tent, close his eyes, and wait for his rival, Rudd, to complete his own solo journey. My eyes are shutting, O'Brady said. My plan is to wait here for Lou and fly to Union Glacier together. Stories like that, folks, where you have to step back and say, wow. Not only does this man complete this 900, nearly 1,000-mile journey alone for two months, he wakes up on Christmas morning and says to himself, I'm going to cover the last 77 miles on just skis without aid of the wind all in one shot. 32 hours nonstop. Could you do that? I don't think I could. But maybe we could. People like Colin O'Brady that are an example of, yes, though we are often born into this world like a turtle without a shell or a fish without fins, we have to scratch and claw even for the most basic necessities in life. Some people thrive really experience their moment and live. Look at what we can do. Incredible story. Joey Clark. can, you know, trek across the Antarctic. Not all of us are going to scale Everest or be big celebrities or be president of the United States. But I think we can all recognize 
excellence, incredible feats of strength, of fortitude. And it's more than physical strength. There's a mental toughness. Even if somebody's your opponent, say, in a political setting, you have to respect. And that's something that should be hailed. There's a reason why when we watch some stupid show that's a competition, at least in my case, I want the people competing to be the best they can be. I don't want it to be some mess up or mistake that knocks them out of the running. For instance, uh, the show Forged in Fire. I don't know the first thing about being a blacksmith, but that show fascinates me. Number one, weapons, swords, daggers, it's axes. Like, it's badass. But number two, I occasionally people will go in there, and because of the time limit, because they're not at their home forge, they mess up. The blade shatters. The blade chips easy. It's not sharp enough. Whatever it is. But I love it when everybody in the competition is completely excellent. There's something about that where you make that frowny face, that grimace, if... That blade hits the strength test and breaks. Ooh, it hurts. And again, I don't know the first thing about making a dagger, making a sword, whatever it is, but we all know, ooh, that wasn't supposed to happen. And we all have our own talents, our own specialties, our given trades, our talents. And we do the best we can with them. But as I said before, most of us are average because that's what it means to be average. Most of us are in the center of the bell curve. Some people reach outlier status. You know, I was listening to an interview with Elon Musk and he was asked, what's it like to be him? What's it like to have his, his mind? In a way, and he didn't say it very happily, he talked about how it's always, it's like a furnace. It's always on. And he always has to do, he has trouble sleeping at night, so he just continues to tinker and take on new projects and dream up new impossible dreams. But again, not all of us are going to be Elon Musk. We're not going to be The Rock. We're not going to be the President of the United States. Most of us are average, and that's all right, because there is something that so-called ordinary people, everyday people, average people can all do. And though it shouldn't surprise us, though it now sounds cliche, no, it now sounds sappy, it is the charity and goodwill of this audience that I have at times been taken aback by. Gives me pause. You know, what we do here most of the day on talk radio is, well, we bitch and moan, and we have every right to. We're bloody well right to say whatever we like. There's a lot in this world, again, to be pissed off about. A lot of things that can make us resentful, make us feel powerless, and that's never a fun feeling. I mean, I maintain the most pervasive form of bigotry in this country, not the most nefarious, but the most pervasive that pulls at the average man and woman in this country is uh, partisan bigotry, writing people off because of their political leanings. To a certain extent, we all do it, though I think many of us try not to. 
We just try not to trouble ourselves with that sort of fight. But when politics gives way to our better angels, when it isn't about who you're going to vote for, it isn't about what economic policies you advocate, what foreign policy you would like to see the U.S. government engage in abroad. No, when it's about somebody calling up and saying, I'm in trouble, I need help. Even if it seems small and simple, it's an incredible thing. You know, somebody sent me a list of New Year's resolutions. One on the list, it was very simple, but I've seen Greg Budell do it time and time again. He did it recently. Help a dog get adopted. Simple thing. But it makes a world of difference. Help find a lost dog. Reunite it with its owners. It's not trekking 930-something miles across the South Pole. But it still makes a world of difference to people. So I don't want anybody to get me wrong. I love these look-at-what-we-can-do moments because they are astounding, because they are exceptional, they are rare. But it doesn't mean they're necessarily more meaningful. It's something I've had to learn and shrink my big head. That is fame for fame's sake. What you really want is money for money's sake. What you really want, power for power's sake. Well, some days, yes, but that's a fool's errand. Oh, it's more a matter of showing love and kindness and a helping hand to somebody in need. Just because something is not the center of the universe doesn't make it meaningless. And just because something doesn't last forever, it's pointless. And just because something never gets written up in the New York Times or the Washington Post or appear on the Drudge Report or on national TV doesn't mean what you do every day is meaningless or pointless. You know, I had a, a family member come up and tell me, over the Christmas holidays, pretty bluntly. We're not as close as I would like, but that's how life works. So many hours in the day, but very bluntly told me how tough his year's been. Sister died. All the ailments and tragedies, especially come when somebody gets a little older in life. I think it's something everybody has to deal with when they start getting older. The conversation goes away from kids and grandkids to who died this week. It's part of life. It's sad, but we can we can get through it. And I told them the only thing I've learned in my few years on this earth. Because people are so quick to it when you're having a rough time of it. When things just aren't working out. And it doesn't have to be a big thing like a death of a family member. It doesn't have to be some major illness you're fighting. 
It could be a little thing, like you're not making enough money or your living situation isn't ideal or food just doesn't taste as good as it once did. You know, life's becoming boring and stale. The things that used to get you up and make you happy, just they don't have the same punch as they used to. It could be whatever. There are a lot of reasons to feel down. But whether it's a small little gnat, a small annoyance, or a major life-changing tragedy, all of that means something. Because people are so quick, whether big or small, to say, what's the point? To look up into the sky and say, why? Without really wanting an answer. Don't do that. Everything has meaning, folks. Everything. And even if we are like fish without fins and turtles without shells, even though we are frail and fallen and prone to anger and stupidity, the big clown and joke of the universe, that's our existence. It seems at times. We can... Number one, occasionally do incredible things, though they might seem absurd. Like, why go to Mars? Why to go to the moon? Why trek across Antarctica with nobody else's help? Well, number one, because we can. And it's the next thing, the new horizon. But beyond that, and I think more importantly, what most of us can do is see the meaning in our lives, see the ripple effect of each and every day, each and every decision, and take the time to set aside our petty differences and help one another out. Sometimes it is a big thing, like raising money for somebody who's sick. Sometimes it's silly, like getting a dog adopted. But hey, love I have for one dog in my life, the red and fuzzy big booty booty Buddha Gimli. <laughs> That's, uh, that's not any small thing to be. It all has an effect. It really does. And I come back to this theme because I struggle with this. That sort of feeling of, ah, uh, what's the point? Oh, another day of Democrats versus Republicans, the Mueller investigation, the government shutdown, are we going to have a wall or no wall? What does the wall mean, man? What do we call these people that want to change our foreign policy, man? Another day, garbage in, garbage out. But it's not garbage. Well, some of it is. <laughs> it's not garbage. It's the future of the country. But I had to share this little family anecdote and the story about O'Brady crossing Antarctica because look at what we can do, whether it's big feats or small, loving gestures of charity. And I have to say, I've learned this from one man. I know he's not in town for me to hear this tonight. I mean, I've learned this from a lot of people in my life, but I've seen it. With this one man. You know, this is how bad politics has gotten. People know I'm fairly middle of the road. I'm, I'm not a, you know, true deep red conservative. 
got a lot of weird ideas. That's even what my Catholic school headmaster told my grandparents. He reads a lot of weird books. All right, then. Take it or leave it. So because people know I'm fairly middle of the road, I can be reasonable. I can also be an epic ass. I've had left-wing people come up to me and sort of in a hushed tone say, how do you do it? How do you, how do you work there? Well, folks, because the people I work with, even when I disagree with them, are more than their political opinions. Whenever I hear this crap, I'm immediately reminded of how divisive politics is. And how these ideas that half the time aren't even our own original ones become a reason for us to forsake people that could potentially be friends, or at least valuable people to our lives. I just can't believe how some people would look at what we do every day, even when it gets a little nasty, and say, like, it's some intolerable trial. I suppose some people only know, like, say, Greg Budell from his epic rants. But Greg is not some right-wing stereotype. Nor is Dan, nor is Barron. I certainly hope I'm not. We're more than our politics. And, you know, given the due, I hear folks on the right talk about how bad the left is, and certain people are. The feeling is very mutual. It's a two-way street, this division in our country. But after I started to drop the need to always win a political argument, a political fight... I started to realize friendship uh, should trump, no pun intended, politics. It should eclipse politics. Political adversaries need not be personal adversaries. So you may not like my politics, you may not like Greg Budell's politics, or Dan Morris, or Baron Coleman's politics, or Rush Limbaugh, or Sean Hannity, or Rachel Maddow, or whoever you want to throw out there. But once I started to drop that desire to win, always and everywhere, conflate people's political beliefs with who they really are as people, I started to see the people behind our labels. And not every person's great, obviously. There's some scumbags out there. And despite all the political sniping and griping, most people are largely good people trying to do what they feel is best. And if I'm naive, I guess I'll find out. But I have seen, in particular, Greg Budell on these airwaves, right across the desk from me, well up. On the verge of tears, because his heart is so big... Not only for his own family, obviously, but for listeners who just want a little bit of help. And it's not just Greg, it's every one of you. Last year with Keith and Sherry Rowland, and Keith, uh, love you, brother. 
the outpouring from this audience in particular was just another reminder of how good people can be. I mean, you folks have heard me, you've heard us on these airways, you've heard callers, we bitch and moan all day long. Like I said we have or before, we have every right to do that. There's a lot of reasons to be resentful and pissed off. But as soon as somebody within this community said, I need help, the bitching and moaning stopped. At least for a few days. Or at least for those moments when we all realize when somebody needs help, you do what you can. And so many people came out of the woodwork. I was running up and down these stairs, people bringing by donations to help them out in their time of need. People I've grown to be good friends with and get to know personally. A man like Clay Sharp, we call 84 Southern Wood or Steel Slat. I like to give him a hard time because that's what friends do. That guy is salt of the earth. Alan Harbin, salt of the earth. So many people around here who will give you the shirt off their back if you really needed it. So that's what gets me through the day when I read cynical things I start to feel like it's pointless garbage in, garbage out is that the people behind the setting that we met in that we're all full of angst over our politics, the people behind that angst and those political labels are going through the same crap we are the big mistake we usually make in politics is that it's somebody's, somebody's got to be the scapegoat. Somebody has to be blamed. We'll throw the sins of the tribe, of the community on the goat, and we'll send it out in the wilderness or we'll slaughter it as a sacrifice. No more bad things will happen because we killed the goat. But we occasionally do rise above that. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. So I guess what I'm saying is, for all my personal bitching and moaning over the years, I love what I do, folks. And it might not be like I'm living up in some high-rise and making a hundred grand a year. I'm certainly not. But it's a good life thus far even with all the little annoyances and the deep tragedies. And I just hope as we turn over a new leaf into this new year, take the time, help get a puppy adopted. Maybe visit that family member you haven't talked to in a while. Because sometimes it's too late. You know, I got to see my uncle, the, the Monsignor in the Catholic Church, the priest in our family, over the holiday season. And I immediately thought I, of, uh, you know, not to get too sad here, my mother's funeral. He gave the homily and before I gave the eulogy. <laughs> In the message of his homily, 
was simple. Not some highfalutin theological concept. He wasn't just going back to the good book and quoting it, though he did that a little bit. His message was three simple words. And if you try to sue us, Nike, F off. His three words were, do it now. There's something in the back of your mind, whether it's advancing your career or making sure your family is on the right footing, making sure you're stopping your own destructive behaviors in your life. There's something gnawing in the back of your brain that maybe I'm wasting time doing this thing I've been doing for years or there's something I've always wanted to see or somebody I always wanted to talk to. Do it now. Do it now. Because number one, you don't know what tomorrow will be, if it will come at all, and by the grace of God go I, of course. But maybe that's not the worst thing. Say you wake up the next day and there's some huge earthquake in the southeast and you happen to die. I think that's not as bad as if you live your life that gnawing voice in the back of your head that I could have done more. And you get full of regrets and you continue to live with that. It's not going to be a pretty picture. So my uncle, who to me is an uncle first before he's ever a Catholic priest, he was right. Do it now. Whatever it is that's in the back of your head. Take the time. Now, of course, the New Year always brings these sort of sentimental, over-the-top, even quixotic speeches. I certainly get in these moods like, oh, it's a different day on the calendar, so I'm going to change a lot. Right. It's not about, oh, this occasion is when I'm going to change. It's just a reminder. Maybe you'll change in June of next year. I don't know. And maybe you find you'll go after something you've always wanted to do, and it doesn't work out. Such is life. What are you going to do, as my great-grandfather used to always say, old Polish grandfather, what are you going to do? But make a plan. Go for it. Take baby steps, and life can be all that much better. It really can. I don't plan on traversing the South Pole anytime soon. I don't plan on trying to become a big movie star, rock star, even radio star anytime soon. I sure as hell am never running for political office. Of course, that's exactly what a politician would say. I'm probably not going to build any incredible architectural feats. Do anything that the New York Times will write about anytime soon, if ever. But I can start laying the groundwork, being a happier and healthier person. And that's what I've tried to do in fits and starts and take a step forward and a step back over the past year. And I'm happy to share some of the journey with you. I wish I could share a lot of the journey with you, but some of it's just not appropriate, you know. 
it's not like I'm going to be a completely different person tomorrow. Just when you turn 30. Just when you turn 40. Just when 2019 begins. It's a new year. Oh, my. No, but if you take baby steps, lay a little bit of the groundwork, think things through. If you repeat certain affirmations, again, to make those little things happen, you'll be amazed at how much it changes your life. You'll be amazed at how foolish your cynicism was. And that those people that you've learned to hate or learned to resent, use a less forceful word, they're maybe not the folks that you thought they were. It's worth finding out. So thank you so much for listening this evening. Tomorrow's a whole new day. The last show of 2018. I plan on having some fun. I had to get out all the sentimental crap tonight, you know. Anyway, thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow. Joey Clark.